That's better? Yeah. Uh, welcome back for a uh, third week uh, in our series on investigating Christianity. Uh, this week, uh, if you again, if you have any questions, you can text them uh, to my mobile, and uh, I'll check that during the meeting and uh, try and answer them on the fly. Uh, I particularly this week reserve the right to hold the questions over to next week. Uh, and for those of you that have sent me emails, thank you. Uh, they've been uh, very helpful, and hopefully you can uh, we can keep dialoguing about some of the issues that we've been raised. Uh, today, we're really addressing the question of how does Christianity stack up? How does it compare to some of the other options? Uh, some of you may be Christians and thoroughly converted, and so you're sort of sitting there going, well, actually, I don't want to know about the other options. I'm quite content as I am. Uh, for some of you, you're not yet Christians, but you've been coming along for a couple of weeks and you're investigating. And I thought this week we'd spend some time looking at Christianity and some of the other world religions to try and see some of the claims that Christianity makes and just to see how much they overlap or how much they're very different than some of the other claims of the major world religions. Uh, this is also helpful for you if you're a Christian because no doubt you have friends who aren't Christians who may be followers of these particular religions and you'd like to try and engage with them to know something about what it is that they believe so that you can share something about what it is that you believe. So today we're going to be uh, spending some time looking at some of the other religions of the world and I want to try and um, show you uh, how Christianity compares to them. I want to try and do this uh, in an unbiased way, but I need to be up front at the beginning and say I'm a Christian. And so I come to the talk with a certain bias. That is, I'm a Christian. I'm not a distant observer. I'm not an uninterested observer. Uh, but I hope that uh, in the way in which I present the material, that it comes across as giving the various uh, religions that we look at a reasonably fair hearing. At the outset, I also want to say that if you belong to one of these religions and if in some way uh, you feel as though I offend you, then I'm at, at the beginning sorry about that. I'm, this is not my intention. Uh, if I've misunderstood one of the religions that you're part of, then I'd like you to come to me afterwards and correct me. Uh, I've tried to do some research from the sources that I've had available to me in the time that I've had available to me. Uh, I do not profess to be a renowned expert on uh, the other uh, religions that I'm talking about other than Christianity. And having said that, I'm not particularly an expert on Christianity. There are others, there are others who are far more learned about some of these things than I am. So I wanted to say that up at the beginning. If I offend you, then this is not my intention. Um, and uh, come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, the main religions that we're going to be spending some time looking at today will be... Any suggestions? Which ones should we look at? Islam. Okay, let's have a look at Islam. Any others? Oh, hang on. Uh, I was going to say one at a time. Christianity? Did someone say Christianity? <laughs> no one. Okay, we're going to be looking at Christianity as well. Any others? Hinduism. Hinduism. Yep, we'll look at Hinduism. Any others? Uh, yes, okay. I will put that under the broad heading of Christianity. Buddhism? We will also look at Buddhism. Judaism? I am not looking at Judaism today. <laughs> I will tell you what. Uh, in many respects, the uh, Christian religion uh, has its foundations in uh, ancient Judaism. Uh, and the reason why I wanted to not consider Judaism today was for fear of perceived bias. Uh, you know, if we spend a, a moderate amount of time looking at purely at Christianity and Judaism, those other religions may just say, well, what about the Bible or what about some of the others? It feels like there's a bias in all the stuff about the Jews and Jesus. 
And so on, so on, not to get Judaism, not to do that last time. And there's another one that I want to look at, and this is um, a religion called humanism. Um, and it manifests itself in many respects in uh, agnosticism and atheism. Which on one hand, for the pedants among us will say, excuse me, they're actually not religions. Uh, because they have no firm belief in some form of supernatural or spiritual being. Uh, but I want to try to sneak them in and say, well, actually, uh, they're a recognition that uh, there is either no, exists no uh, supreme being, or I'm just I'm not really sure. So uh, you hear in our media today uh, that there's a whole lot of atheists running around the country. Literally, there were uh, for the last week, because they all came for the uh, convention down in Northern. Did you hear about this? Yeah, 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 Richard Dawkins was out. Um, and he sold that. Do you want to go to the Opera House to hear him speak? Fantastic. <laughs> if you get a chance, come and talk to me about it. I, I couldn't get there, so I'd be really interested in hearing what that. Um, a lot of people who we presume are atheists are actually agnostics. And so the difference between the two is that the atheist wants to maintain, <coughs> wants to maintain uh, or deny or disbelieves the existence of any supreme being. That's what the atheist is. But the agnostic takes a slightly softer view, if I can call it that, by saying that the existence is actually of a supreme being is unknowable or is uncertain. Do you hear the difference between those two? Uh, for the atheist, it's actually in quite an extreme position which says there is no. And they write it these days, they put a writer on it which says as best as we can determine. Just trying to cover all the bases. But the agnostic genuinely says, I'm not sure. But what I know is that I'm not convinced by any of the other ones, any of the other major religions on board. Uh, in some respects, this falls under humanism, and I'll explain why later on. In terms of, uh, sort of, give you an idea of the size and scope of the religions that we're dealing with, uh, Christianity has roughly, how many adherents around the world? Anyone want to make this? How many? Yeah, pretty close, actually. Uh, it's somewhere between 2 and 2.2 2 million. But then, how do you count it all? How do you count all those people? Uh, the religious uh, censuses that they take are sometimes uh, hard and the margin of error is fairly large. In terms of Islam, we're dealing with about a billion people. Um, in terms of uh, Hinduism and Buddhism combined, well, and uh, excuse me if I refer to my notes a little more closely today, but I want to make sure that I'm um, getting the information correct here. Uh, for Hinduism, it's about 830 million all around the world. And for Buddhism, at the moment, it's about 370 million. Okay. In terms of representation, the Christian category covers all sorts of things. Uh, it covers uh, the mainstream uh, groupings of Christian religions, including things like Roman Catholicism, uh, Protestant religions, and Orthodox religions. Now, you might sort of say, well, actually, I disagree because um, I think that at the moment, just for argument's sake, for the next half an hour, we're sort of trying to put them all in that one box for the sake of comparison. Okay. Uh, in terms of uh, the likelihood of you meeting people that come from these religions in Australia, uh, at the moment, in terms of uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, about 2.5% of Australia's population will tick the box Hinduism or Buddhism on the census form, and about one5 to 1.8% will claim to be followers of Islam in Australia. About 60%, and this is why the numbers are a little bit vague, will fall under the Christian category. But I suspect that if we went out and did some random samples, 
the likelihood of finding six to seven out of ten people who would genuinely claim to be Christian, I think, would be overstating the case. I suspect what we find these days in Australia that the country has moved to much more agnosticism. And the statisticians tell us, particularly in recent surveys, that there is a much sharper rise in those who are willing to tick the atheist box. I do not believe in a God at all. So for today, what I want to do is I want to raise the question, is it possible or feasible to consider the claim that a supreme being actually exists? Now, if you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, then you'll know that my bias towards this question is, yes, of course, and I've been advocating that the claims of Christianity are worth checking out and considering. But when we deal with the realms of other religions, it's worth just taking a step back for a minute and asking this prior question. Um, and so if you will, for the next 20 minutes or so, let us presume uh, that the answer to the question may be yes. Because as soon as we say yes it is, then it actually disadvantages in many respects to give people a fair hearing those who will follow the humanism side of things, where there is an uncertainty or a certainty that God does not exist. So today we consider the claims, are all, aren't all religions the same? Uh, I think for some of us, we presume, well, actually, there's quite a lot of overlap between what religion, what different religions believe. But the more you investigate, the more you realise, actually, there's not as much in common. Actually, they tend to occupy discrete spaces. And so, as we start our explorations today, I hope that we're going to be able to see this. Um, in terms of uh, our place to start, I want to start with asking the question, how is it possible to know things? How is it possible to know things? And it goes to the idea of knowledge. Anyone want to offer some suggestions? How is it that we know things? Tests. Tests. Are you thinking exams? Yeah, so we go for observation, perhaps. Yeah. And in this case, I presume that you're also meaning uh, things that can be repeated. Aren't you lucky that you don't have to do your exams over and over and over and over again? Any other way of knowing things? Experience. Experience. And sometimes these are things that actually aren't repeated. And they're things that can't be tested. Yet they do actually contribute to our knowledge of who we are and the way the world operates. There's one other. That I don't think I have particularly about. Faith. Faith. Yeah, can I use another word uh, which may help? And that is that I want to deal with the idea of revelation. Um, I have three names. First name, middle name, and surname. As far as I'm aware, there is no way of you being able to test to come up with a test that determines my middle name. Uh, there's no experience that you can put yourself through to be able to know what my middle name is. Some of you are sitting there, you've got Google open already. <laughs> middle name. As far as I'm aware, it's not on the internet. <laughs> unless you're good at hacking into certain national databases. <laughs> which I'm not suggesting by the <laughs> Now, see, in this case, the only way that you will be aware of my middle name is if I reveal it to you. 
or if it's revealed to you by someone else. My wife, my parents, all those who know already. So this needs to be a third way in which knowledge comes to us. Now, in some senses, if that's what you meant by faith, in some, yes, sort of, uh, then I'm happy to put those two together. Uh, these are three ways in which we actually know things. Now, this is important when we step off uh, to look at the idea uh, of how is it possible for other religions to make their adherents aware of what it is that they profess. See, the measure of whether or not a god or a higher being actually can be known will, in some senses, speak to their character and their nature. For you may have a higher being who is only able to be known by experience. Well, it says something about their nature and their character, doesn't it? You may have a higher being who is only able to be known by certain tests that you can run on them, whatever those tests may be. It goes towards who they are and their intent in terms of being able to be known. Another side issue to be aware of in this case is also the burden of proof. So if I told you that my middle name is, thank you for the text message for asking that, if I told you that my middle name is Charles, who thinks my middle name is Charles? <laughs> it's because I prefaced it with if, isn't it? If I had just come out and said, my God. See, there's a burden of proof that you expect, isn't it? You're now uncertain as to whether or not I've revealed accurately what my middle name is. And so, what burden of proof would you require? See, a driver's license. Do you see it? So, when we come to try and understand other religions, and particularly when we look at the continuing to look at the claims of Christ, you need to work out is what is the burden of proof that you are expecting before you will accept that the knowledge is true, before you accept that the knowledge is actually worth accepting, let alone before you then come to respond to that knowledge in a certain way. Uh, we're not going to talk too much more about this, but I'll leave it there for your consideration throughout the afternoon. Okay, firstly, in terms of knowing God, uh, Islam would indicate that would suggest to you that God is utterly transcendent. Now, in this case, uh, what that means is he is utterly uh, separate and cannot himself be known. So, for the Muslim, they will say that Allah is not able to be known. His will is able to be discerned. And in this case, this revelation comes through a book which was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad and was written down. How is it that, according to Islam, God is able to be known? Well, through revelation. But only his will is able to be known, not he himself. So, for Islam, it is will. Um, for terminology, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, I will keep using the word God, so I will write here the will of God. Uh, for the Buddhist and for the Hindu, in terms of knowing knowledge of God, the Buddhist will say, 
actually there is no God. Uh, Hinduism says actually there are millions of gods. There's approximately, last count, 300 million gods currently worshipped in India. 300 million? Uh, That's a lot to remember if you're going to pray to God or the many gods that you believe in. But for Buddhism, it's rather that the teachings about God are, well, in some senses they would say not relevant. Uh, Rather, uh, the means uh, of finding God is actually denial of self, uh, move away from the physicality of life, and in some senses it's all about a path of wisdom. So it's not strictly speaking a searching after a divine being, but rather it's more, if you like, an intrinsic move towards wisdom, which is more of an abstract type concept. But then the Buddhists will go even further to say, well, actually, it's not just searching after a path of wisdom because life itself is actually an illusion. And at this point, as I was reading it, uh, my head started spinning a little bit and I went, I'm just going to leave it at that. For the agnostic and the atheist, and apologies if I'm lumping the two in together, uh, but there are many similarities in this particular category. Um, The obvious is true here. Either God is unknowable or doesn't exist. In many respects, it can almost move to the idea that God is actually unnecessary. However, for the Christian, the claim of Christianity is that not only does God exist, and not only is his will able to be known, but God himself is able to be known. And here it's through revelation. Uh, The writer to the letter of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Uh, The writer to the letter of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The way in which God makes himself known is through a person. Not just through his will. This is how it's possible to know God. Over the last couple of weeks, I've suggested to you a particular framework uh, that we've been using to try and explore what I've talked about in terms of uh, the narrative of uh, what I've said the Bible spoke about in terms of humanity. I've suggested that we've had uh, the first days, which is particularly dealing with creation. Uh, the idea that evil enters the world, that God actually decides to do something in sending Jesus, and that there will be a last time when the creation and the world ends. At the same time, there is also a time which is known as today, the time between the ascension of Jesus and when he returns. I suggested last week particularly that the state of humanity, just by observation, would indicate that the world is not right. Take it that our experience of the world, both personally and by observation, 
provides a very vivid and clear call for some form of response to the state that the world is in. So how is it that some of these major religions respond to the state of humanity? Well, Christianity would make the response that actually humanity is, is in the term of the scriptures, sinful. They are in rebellion against God. They are at enmity between God and themselves. There's actually a significant breakdown in the relationship between God and all humans. The language that is used in the Bible is one of a breakdown of relationship. Uh, some of the passages, if you're taking notes here, would be uh, the first part of Romans 3 and the first part of Ephesians chapter 2. For the agnostic or the atheist, I think one of the claims that would be made here, particularly from a humanist point of view, is that actually humanity is improving. See, the humanist movement in many respects uh, is a movement of ideas. Uh, it covers roughly the period from about 1779 to 1989. It's roughly a 200-year period. Uh, and one of the great symbols of um, the modernist age uh, is, is the development of science. And you see this in people like Francis Bacon, uh, who develops the idea of scientific method. And they're actually looking for theories that can be tested against the real world. Now, at the beginning of this particular era, most of those that were involved in this research actually had a very high view of God. They were generally very religious men, and some of them religious women. But over time, as this developed, the idea that God could actually reveal things to humanity was slowly moved to the side so that religion essentially became opinion. So as the ideas developed over 200 years, you get to the end, after 200 years of strong feelings of empiricism and certainty and we know things, what need is there then for any revelation from God? And so we have the modernist era, which in many respects... Uh, has brought rise to, particularly more recently, what is commonly termed the new atheism. Um, so we'll be looking at this in our public meetings in a couple of weeks when I deal with Genesis. Uh, one of the strong advocates of the new atheism is Richard Dawkins, where he actually takes Darwinian theory of evolution much further, I would propose, than Darwin himself took it. Now, one of the reasons why this comes about really is because of the 200 years of modernism. I think the agnostic and the atheist then would tend to say, well, in terms of the state of humanity, well, it's continually improving. Technology demonstrates this. We can now do things that we couldn't do 5, 10, 50, 100 years ago. Tolerance is a big idea that comes in. Uh, for the Buddhist and the Hindu, uh, the state of humanity is that suffering in this particular world are the result of human desire. And so you see in the teachings of uh, Buddhism and Hinduism the need to escape the world, the need to move towards enlightenment, the need to suppress in many respects most human desires because it's felt that often they lead to suffering. For Islam... Humanity is not actually ignorant. Sorry, humanity is ignorant of knowing the will of God.
So this is the way in which Islam describes the human condition. Any form of sin or rebellion against God is an act of disobeying God's law. Now, Islam would suggest that humanity is not sinful by nature and also that the sin that humans carry out does not affect God personally. Because for Islam, God is transcendent and there is a significant separateness between God and the creation. Sin in Islam does not affect God personally. And so you start to see one of the differences between Islam and Christianity coming here when we look at not only the way in which we know God, but also the state of humanity. Well, what, what then of the possibility of a relationship with God? Just consider again the moment, for the moment the possibility that a supreme being does exist. Actually, let's back it up a little bit. Can you think of the most important person in the world? Now, you guys have missed the generation of superannuation ads. Where it said, you missed all those? Yes, I think you're probably in about year seven or year eight. Uh, what's the most, who's the most important person in the world? I think if we took a survey, any suggestions? You know, no, no, come on, you won't be too embarrassed. Me. No one, no one's game enough. You should just have a low view of people in this world. Who? Obama. Obama. Yeah. Any others? I might have also you guys need to get out more. Just consider for a moment the person in your mind who you think is important in the world. What if they rang you this afternoon and gave you the opportunity to meet with them just for five minutes? Would you take it? Even if it was in America and they flew you there, all expenses paid. I think you'd all be on the plane in a flash, wouldn't you? See, we recognise in our particular world that there are others who are far more important and more significant than ourselves. And at times, we desire to be within their sphere of influence. Now, the world demonstrates this very clearly in the massive sale of celebrity magazines. I don't have any figures for you. I think they're just off the charts. So... Uh, we want to be involved in the lives of other people, people who we perceive to be more important than ourselves. So let me propose to you just for a moment that if there is a supreme being who, just by definition, will be far more significant and far more important than you, uh, I think you would probably be interested, if not keen, to know how to be in a relationship with that person. What if not only could they be known, but actually you could be involved in a relationship with you, with them, that they could know you. Not just that you know about them, but they actually know you. See, to the agnostic or the atheist, and we'll try and speak to To the agnostic and the atheist, is that possible? Well, no, it's not, because they will claim that God is unknowable. And so it's actually not possible to be able to have a relationship with something that you can't know, or with something that you're not really sure exists. Okay? Uh, however, for um, uh, the Muslim, in many respects, the means of being in relationship with Islam, in, with, uh, with 
with God and Islam is actually obedience to law. And so this is demonstrated in the way in which the Muslim relates to God by following the five pillars of Islam. Now the five pillars of Islam are things such as the declaration of faith, the daily prayer, fixed prayers five times a day, where Friday prayers are carried out with the other people in the mosque. Uh, the third pillar of Islam is the zakat, or the tax for the poor. Fourth is the fast of Ramadan. And the fifth is the pilgrimage to Mecca, which this year they estimate three million Muslims took part in. For the Muslim, the means of being in relationship with God is actually through obedience to law as decreed by the five pillars. Now, these five pillars capture the heart of what it means to obey the law, the Sharia. And submitting to them then ensures God's favour. See, forgiveness is possible in Islam. Forgiveness is possible in Islam. Because for the Muslim, they believe that God is merciful. However, the thing that is not possible in Islam is a thing called atonement. Because for the Muslim, the Muslim doesn't believe that God has actually been wronged. Is the individual believer sins? They just believe that the law of God has been broken. And so the means of obtaining restitution and restoration is actually again obedience to law. But atonement is a word that demonstrates that actually there is enmity between two parties. And an atonement is made to fix the enmity, to fix and rebuild the relationship. And this is one of the contrasts made between Islam and Christianity. Because for Christianity, not only is forgiveness possible, but Christians hold that atonement is necessary and seen in the death of Jesus. And so you have here that the means of being made right with God in Christianity is actually through the death of an individual so that the relationship between humanity and God can be restored, can be made right. For the Buddhist and for the Hindu, the means of actually getting right with... Well, actually, that's all of God. But in many respects, the means of becoming right is actually ignorance. Oh, I don't mean to be derisive, but as far as I can tell, the way you actually become enlightened is you ignore bodily passions. You ignore the things that are going on around about you so that you will actually better yourself in many respects. So that you will move to a higher state of enlightenment. Well, what then about the person of Jesus and some of the claims that he makes in the last couple of minutes? I'll finish with these. Um, for the agnostics and perhaps even some atheists, some will agree that Jesus is a historical figure. For to them, that's not as controversial because they can test whether or not that claim is historically valid. And so, often, you will meet people who are agnostics 
who, if you sit down with them and they read the historical claims of Christianity, will come to the conclusion and say, yes, I accept now that Jesus existed as a historical figure. But what I don't accept is, and at this point you see the difference here between the agnostic or the atheist and Christianity. For not only does Christianity claim that Jesus was a historical figure, but the claims of Christianity go further and indicate that Jesus was God come to earth in human form. God who lived among humanity for three years, 33 years, who then suffered and went to the cross so that the relationship between God and humanity could be restored. For Islam and for Muslims, they believe that Jesus is a historical figure. They believe that he is one in the line of the prophets. They believe he was born of the virgin. They believe he performed many miracles. But they suggest, more than suggest, they strongly advocate that it is blasphemous to elevate Jesus to God. It is blasphemous to claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they say Jesus did not die on the cross, but rather God took him to heaven. So what then of the resurrection? One of the key tenets of the Christian faith. Well, for the Hindu, the Hindu wants to say, actually, I'm moving towards being liberated from bodily existence. But the Christian says, no, no, I'm looking forward to a bodily existence. It's just a lot better than what I've got at the moment. For uh, the atheist, well, if you can't prove the resurrection, it didn't happen. Can we maybe run the test again and see if Jesus comes back again and we'll kill him and see if he rises again and we'll observe it? And so where does that leave us? Well, one of the things that we need to consider at this point is the idea of pluralism. And the idea that perhaps all the religions are really the same. All just different roads to the one God. Perhaps all the different religions are on this one journey and in the end we'll all realise that that's the way we were going. See, pluralism suggests that in essence it's all the same. In detail there's a bit of difference. But I want to suggest to you that just from our brief excursus today, the religions actually make, well some of them make exclusive claims. And some of them make very different claims about the same issue. The thing about our study today is that actually all the religions can't be right. Either Jesus was a lot, either Jesus did exist, or he didn't exist. Either he did die, or he didn't die. Either he is the Son of God, or he's not the Son of God. Either. And so it doesn't matter which two you compare. They can't all be right. So how to proceed then? Well, because I'm coming and I've admitted my bias from a Christian point of view, can I suggest the following? Can I suggest that you continue to inquire as to whether or not the claims of Jesus are historically accurate? And you can go and do the research yourself. Go into Fisher Library and go and get the books and go and do the study. 
Keep in mind the question that I raised about burden of proof. How much proof will you require? One line in one chapter in one book? I hope not. One book? Two books? Five books? Ten books? Well, I want to suggest that that's up to you. You go and investigate the evidence and let the evidence speak for itself. Are the claims of Jesus historically accurate? Secondly, are his claims consistent? Are they consistent? Now, to do this, you might have to read the Bible. So why don't you read it? And try and work out where the inconsistencies are. And then go and find your Christian friend and say, look, what's going on here? Thirdly, how does he back up the claims he makes? Well, one of the claims of Christian, one of the claims that Christianity makes is that Jesus claimed that he would die and rise again. And the Bible indicates and Christians believe that that actually is a historical fact. So if those words are trustworthy, then are not all the other words that he said trustworthy as well? Well, he made some other claims that affect you very significantly, as we looked at last week. The key here, I want to suggest, is the historical death and resurrection of Jesus. If it's not true, Christianity crumbles. But if it is true, it has big implications for the relationship that you have with your fellow men and women and with God himself. So why don't you make this your starting point if you're checking out the claims of Christianity. But don't stop there. Go and do further research onto the claims of some of these other religions and check out the evidence for yourself. Don't just take what I've said as truth. Go and make sure that I have read well. Go and read for yourself. And then perhaps look at the evidence, let it speak for itself and talk to Christian friends about why they are a Christian. Now, one of the things that the EU offers is some seminars on these sorts of things. It's called Equip which is our Monday afternoon slot.